2: for the World Umpires Association, he's going to join us. You know, following the recent Tim Donaghy gambling scandal in the NBA, Major League Baseball Commissioner Bud Selig wants to conduct thorough background checks on Major League Baseball umpires. The umpires, some of whom have worked in Major League Baseball for 30-plus years, are not at all thrilled about being probed. We're going to discuss this battle between the umpires union and Major League Baseball with Lamel McMorris in segment three. In segment four, SportSense, Kel Devlin. He's the global sports marketing director for Nike Golf. Nike Golf has grown from a $120 million business before Tiger Woods signed on in 1996 to a $600 million business today. I'll chat with Kel about the amazing growth of the brand as well as the company's future plans with two of its marquee endorsers, Tiger Woods and Michelle Wee. That's in segment four of today's show couple of other notes visit our website at sportsbusinessradio.com listen to us on demand just go to sportsbusinessradio.com and click on the podcast page I'm joined in studio by Nathan Roach Nathan finally after days and days of waiting for Barry Bonds to hit record-breaking home run number 756 he did it this past Tuesday night Lots of business to talk about around that record achievement.
3: Well, you know, something that I love even more than Barry Bonds just hitting the home run is the story of Matt Murphy, the kid who caught the ball uh, when, when Barry hit it out. And I know we'll talk about that in headlines, but I think that's just as good of a story as Barry hitting it out. Well, yeah, he wasn't even supposed to be at the game. He was on his way to Australia. And, you know, there's
2: tax implications. And when you catch this ball, when you win something, I have a friend who won a Harley Davidson at a Blazers game. And when you take possession of something like that, don't forget, you've got to pay taxes on it. So just like, even if you go on The Prices Right or something like that, if you win a car or something like that, you've got to pay taxes. You're responsible for it if you sell it. So we're going to talk about the value of that ball. Another thing I want to talk about, Bud Seelig. He wasn't at the game because he was meeting with independent investigator George Mitchell. This is such a ridiculous investigation. And I'm going to give you my thoughts on that and those two getting together to discuss steroids and performance-enhancing drugs. Lots of headlines coming up. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where Sports Business Education got its start at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training, sports business curriculum taught by industry experts, and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships.
0: This is Sports Business Radio.
2: It's time for this week's Sports Business Radio headline sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit warsawcenter.com for more information. Headline number one, as we discussed in our opening segment, Nathan, Barry Bonds hits number 756. He breaks Hank Aaron's all-time record. He also hits 757. But lots of layers to this story. Number one, interestingly enough, This game, which uh, he hit the home run at 11.15 p.m. Eastern Time, a lot of people on the East Coast had already gone to bed, and we always say on this show, the East Coast media, the New York Times, USA Today, Sports Illustrated, ESPN the Magazine, a lot of those media drive the content in this country, and when they're asleep and they're not seeing this record achievement, it hurts what you're doing, as a matter of fact. Tom Glavin, who won his 300th game last Sunday on ESPN Sunday Night Baseball in Wrigley Field, his game got three times the rating that the Bonds game got on espn 2 when number 756 occurred
3: well i think what's difficult about this is when the nba playoffs are going on or playoff series or a championship you know what night it's on you know who's going to be the winner you know what the outcome is going to be one way or the other with barry bonds and even tom glavin you don't know if he's going to hit it so you're going to invest a lot of time waiting and we all know it took barry bonds quite a while to get from to 755 people are just sick of waiting especially if it's eleven fifteen at night plus tom glavin Everybody loves Tom Glavin a lot more than they like Barry Bonds, and that's a feat we may never see again. Yeah, number 300, we may never see
1: a
2: a pitcher. You know, and the other thing, you talk about the likability factor. It was interesting for me to watch who reached out to Glavin and who reached out to Barry Bonds. Yes, Barry Bonds was very taken because there was a recorded message from Hank Aaron. By the way, I thought that was one of the classiest things I've ever seen, Hank Aaron doing that recorded message, congratulating Barry Bonds, Uh, asking kids and people out there to strive to reach their dreams. Class, class act that Hank Aaron is. By the way, I still recognize Hank Aaron as the real home run king. Uh, President Bush called Barry Bonds the next day. But you look at Tom Glavin. Tom Glavin got the key to the city of New York this week. And he seems, like you said, to be a much more likable character. And he's a guy who's always been friendly with the media. And let's not forget about this very important fact, Nathan. There's a lot of controversy that is surrounding Barry Bonds and performance-enhancing drugs. Game of Shadows had some pretty convincing evidence that he's used performance-enhancing drugs. He's put up some cartoon numbers since he was age 32. He's gotten better as he's gotten older instead of getting worse with numbers. So the media votes on who gets into the Hall of Fame. Bonds has not been very nice to the writers who will vote on the Hall of Fame, even though he's got incredible numbers. He may not make it into the Hall of Fame on the flip side of that. I think Glavin the only he's only the 5th lefty to win 300 games and he's
3: been nice to the media. I think he gets in. Well, I'd be shocked if Barry Bonds doesn't eventually get in. We're watching Mark McGuire. He got denied his first time through. I think eventually it's going to wear off with the media. I know they do vote. Tom Glavin kind of reminds me of John Daly. He's he looks like he could be my dad out there and he's so likable, you know. He he's clearly not done steroids at least, you know, not that we know about and not by appearance by any means, but you know, there's so many different sides to this story. And the other one that like I mentioned in segment 1 is Matt Murphy. Here's a guy who basically won the lottery, but now just like if you win the lottery, you get taxed on the ball if you choose to sell it. Right. If you sell it, you are taxed on whatever you sell it for. So some people have valued
2: this ball at $500,000. Now, Matt Murphy, the other interesting thing, he went to the game with a buddy of his. He said, whatever we sell the ball for, I'm taking 51%. My buddy's taking 49%. So they're basically splitting it. They'll have to split the taxes. When they walk away, they'll probably clear about $200,000 total that they'll split. So not a ton of money. It's better than a a sharp poke in the eye with a pencil, I guess, but it's not a ton of money. Some people think of, oh my God, these guys are going to have a
3: million dollars to walk away with. At the end of the day, after taxes, it's not going to be that much money. Well, you know what's funny is on eBay today, I happened to log onto the eBay page and eBay is asking, it said, Mr. Murphy, please put your ball on eBay so the eBay community can bid on it. If I'm Matt Murphy right now, that ball goes on eBay or somewhere else tomorrow because, like you said, Barry's continuing to hit home run balls, and it's just losing its value every day that it sits in his hands. Totally agree. You know, as a PR professional, I was
2: interested to see, right after he hit the home run, you know, Hank Aaron's video message was on the scoreboard, Bud Sealy came out with a statement, uh, the Giants came out with a statement, but really people distance themselves from Barry Bonds. They stood an arm's length away from him. And then in the press conference, at the pure mention of performance-enhancing drugs, or someone asked, uh, who's his trainer's name? Uh, uh, Greg Anderson. Greg Anderson has been sitting in jail for a year and a half. He went into jail just when his baby was born. Someone asked Barry Bonds, hey, do you have anything to say to Greg Anderson? He's been pretty loyal to you. And, and Bonds said something to the effect of, well, you know, you're just trying to bring up negative things. I'm not going to talk about that. Here's a guy that's sitting in prison for you for the last year and a half, and you're not going to say anything to him? I thought that was just, it showed typical Barry Bonds. We'll see how this thing goes, but, uh, you know, I just don't think people embrace Barry Bonds. If this had been Ken Griffey Jr. or Alex Rodriguez, Albert Pujols, someone that was a little bit more likable, I think this would be a much bigger deal. Our next headline, Bud Seelig met with independent investigator George Mitchell this week. I'm sure that was a real revealing conversation. Let's what see. what
3: of juicy dirt that he's got for us now?
2: Well, I mean, it's ridiculous. Bud Seelig and Major League Baseball are paying George Mitchell. Do you really think that George Mitchell is going to write in his report that Bud Seelig did anything wrong or that he turned a blind eye to the performance-enhancing drug problem that's infested Major League Baseball for the last 20 years? It's ridiculous that those two are even meeting because you know Mitchell
3: is not going to be honest in his report, he's not going to throw the guy who's paying him under the bus. No, they absolutely they need a third party here. And I like what you said a couple weeks ago by having one gigantic governing body who watches over all we of the We need a whole, sports, land, a whole security land security of sports. For sports. I and totally agree with you. That's it's the only way yeah. to be fair. Well, it's for another show, but if
2: all the leagues were conducting tests, let's say for HGH, there's no test for human growth hormone in any sport. So if you find one, why not share those testing procedures with every league, NBA, NFL, Major League Baseball, Olympics, everyone cycling, and then everyone can benefit. We'll get into that topic on another show. Our next headline, former Notre Dame quarterback Brady Quinn, he ends his holdout this week. He signs a guaranteed contract of $7.75 million. He slipped. A lot of people had him going in the top five. He wound up going to number 22. So by all accounts... He lost about $17.75 million in guaranteed money. Last year, we saw Matt Leinart lose about $10 million in
3: guaranteed money. But boy, if you're Brady Quinn, you lost a lot of money by dropping all the way to 22. Oh, you certainly did. And now it's up to Brady Quinn to show what he can do on the field. Because if he shows what he can do on the field the next couple seasons, he'll make the money.
2: Our last headline of the week, Tiger Woods. In American Express, they had been working together for the last 10 years. Read my blog about this at sportsbusinessradio.com, but they have parted ways. I don't think it's a very good move by American Express. I would have kept Tiger around after investing 10 years in him. And let's not forget, Tiger Woods is someone who's going to be playing golf for the next 20 to 25 years. Golf is a game you play for a long, long time. Now, if I'm Visa
3: or some other company... I try and swoop in there and grab Tiger Woods. I agree. And one of my favorite ads that Tiger did with him was with a Caddyshack uh, ad. I love that, and I wish that they would stay on board, but Tiger's got bigger and better things. And
2: if you want to see that ad, it's on the blog at sportsbusinessradio.com. Coming up next, Lamel McMorris with the World Umpires Association. You're listening to Sports Business Radio.
0: Ryan Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. I think the reason why we have a
4: BCS-type system in Division One A and elsewhere we have playoffs is that the schools in Division One A feel that the regular season is the most important
0: aspect of football. Read the sports business blog and listen to SBR On Demand at sportsbusinessradio.com. See, I think that's the big thing. Sports Business Radio, Saturday (laughs) or online at sportsbusinessradio.com. Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger.
2: You know, the recent Tim Donaghy gambling allegations in the NBA continue to have a ripple effect on other parts of the sports world. This week, Bud Selig's office reached out to the World Umpires Association about initiating background checks for all of the umpires in Major League Baseball. Joining me on the phone is Lamel McMorris. He's a spokesperson for the World Umpires Association. The association represents all active Major League Baseball umpires, and I think you represent the NBA referees as well. Lamel, thanks for joining me.
1: Thank you for having me, Brian.
2: So you do represent the NBA referees as well as the umpires, even though it's the Umpires Association, is that correct? Absolutely. Okay, so give us a brief overview of the World Umpires Association, if you would.
1: Well, it's all of uh, Major League Baseball, 70 full-time umpires. And some of these individuals have been officiating, like an Ed Montague, for example, for well over 30 years. Uh, And they are, you know, ethical uh, and uh, the most dedicated individuals that I've I've met in all of uh, sports. And then I'm
2: curious, just for some context here to this conversation, with Major League Baseball, Where are you in the midst of that collective bargaining agreement? How long do you have remaining on that agreement?
1: Uh, We have about uh, a year and a half or two, really, to go ahead before we have to do another uh, uh, agreement.
2: And then what about the NBA? Are you familiar
1: with the length of that agreement? Sure, sure. The same, uh, just about. They just about will be around the same time.
2: So your organization called Bud League's initiative for background checks a knee-jerk, misguided witch hunt in response to the NBA betting scandal involving referee Tim Donaghy. You know, I happen to agree with you. Uh, my question is, why is League's office just getting around to conducting these background checks now after the fact just because one rogue official might have had a problem? It doesn't seem fair that the league should take license to do cavity searches on all the other umpires and referees. Uh, Give me your take on all of this, if you would.
1: No doubt about it. You know, look, the umpires believe that the integrity of the game is paramount. And, you know, frankly, in light of uh, the circumstances that are going on with the alleged allegations of misconduct uh, by an NBA referee, frankly, you know, they understand the need for security and uh, personal background investigations, except that Uh, we will not agree and we will not sanction the league's decision to launch background investigations until they come back to the negotiating table to answer our critical questions regarding the process and the use of the information.
2: So what are those critical questions?
1: You know, what is the nature, type, and scope of information that they intend to gather on umpires? What are the sources that they're going to use? Are they legitimate or otherwise from which they intend to collect that information? The persons, uh, who are they who have access to this information once it is collected? What vendors or consultants will they use? How, f- how often will you do this? What's the frequency? You know, how will they use the information? Will this affect uh, uh, individuals' job protection? I mean, you know, there are a number of, and what are the safeguards that will be adopted to make sure that individuals won't be subject to disciplinary or adverse job actions?
2: Lamel, when a Major League Baseball umpire and NBA referee are hired now, what's the current procedure for background testing?
1: Well, in in the NBA, it's, it's different. Uh, you know, uh, NBA officials the last uh, maybe two or three seasons uh, go through now annual uh, background investigations. Uh, and that's, you know, a system that, you know, we've discussed and, with uh, with uh, the league, and it's been uh, negotiated to a certain extent. Uh, but uh, in baseball, I mean, you hit it right on the head. Uh, from what we understand, you have some individuals, and it's a little sketchy whether or not uh, some even had background checks even at the point of hire in baseball, but it's, we definitely know that uh, there is no systematic program in place in Major League Baseball with umpires, uh, have systematic uh, background investigations. Some of them haven't been done since the point of hire. And if in that case, if you've got a 31-year veteran like uh, Ed Montague, uh, he hasn't had one since he was hired, and he's been a perfect, upstanding uh, umpire in Major League Baseball.
2: You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We're being joined by Lamel McMorris. Lamel, you know, you bring up a good point about Ed Montague. Isn't there now going to be a breach of trust? You're looking at someone who's been employed by Major League Baseball for 30-plus years. If I'm employed by someone and they come to me and they say, you know what, after three decades, we now feel like we need to do an in-depth background check on you, I'm a little bit offended by
0: that.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, that's a very natural reaction on the part of uh, the umpires. Uh, You know, and look... Poor planning on Major League Baseball's part does not constitute uh, an emergency on ours. Uh, We understand the climate that we are operating in right now, not only uh, post-Donaghy, but even, for example, post-9-11. But we just want to make sure that this process is fair and transparent and that critical questions are negotiated at the table.
2: So let me ask you this. You're sitting across the table from Bud Seelig. What are the points? If you say, okay, Bud league, we're going to cooperate with you, but here's what we need on our side of the table to get this done.
1: You know, we have put forth an idea that is a win-win for uh, Major League Baseball and for uh, uh, the umpires. And it's, frankly, uh, um, the, um, the fact that uh, what is equivalent to what every other major sporting league, and even NCAA uh, concept does, and that is having an alternate official in case of injury or other uh, unfortunate circumstances present and ready to go for a game so that the play and level of officiating isn't interrupted. We think that's a win-win, not an economic issue, and it's not about bartering uh, integrity for economics. The integrity of the game is to make sure the game is officiated at the highest level, especially during your most critical time in the season. And also, by the way, Brian, if you're going to follow the NBA now and try to implement uh, background checks, then you should follow the NBA where they've implemented this alternate uh, official system for the last three or four seasons now.
2: Yeah, I mean, it doesn't seem like much of a concession, I would think, because all it's doing is improving – the game and the integrity and the outcome of the game, and like you said, the other sports leagues do it, so why shouldn't Major League Baseball? What else are you guys asking for in, other, in, in, uh, in exchange for uh, your cooperation?
1: Uh, that's it. Uh, just the fair questions answered and the process worked through, and the opportunity for a win-win for both parties, and getting the alternate uh, umpire, and again, making this league consistent, and if you want to say, bringing them into the 21st century, where NBA, NFL, NHL, and even NCAA bowl games have an alternate official.
2: Now, you mentioned the agreement is up, the union agreement is up with the league in about a year and a half. 2009. Okay, 2009. There's a lot that's changed since the last agreement. If you're sitting across the table next time the negotiations come around, what's on your wish list?
1: Well, don't don't really want to mix apples and oranges and and get into that because in part I'll be I'll be tipping our hand and that's clearly not a great negotiating strategy. I think we're going to have a lot of issues of substance ranging from salary and disability to pension and and job security and we're probably going to have some creative proposals like the one that we've already uh, put forth and that is the alternate umpire system and I think we're going to want to systematize and continue. Uh, The great working relationship that we've had in the past.
2: Well, and the reason I bring that up, Lamel, is because, again, you know, if you're going to give on one side of the table, I would think that you're going to want some concessions on the other side of the table. So that's why I brought that up. Um, Let me ask you this. I saw that you weren't very pleased with Major League Baseball Executive VP of Labor Relations, Rob Menfried. Uh, You said he was, quote unquote, extremely unprofessional. Uh, Elaborate on that, if you would.
1: You know, um, There's a way that uh, gentlemen meet and negotiate even when they disagree. And there's a way to be constructive even in the midst of tension. I was uh, very surprised that at our first encounter uh, that Mr. Manford would take the posture that he did, essentially uh, dismissing us, interrupting our speech, and that was, that was the greatest uh, lack of respect I've ever uh, participated in and been a part of in my professional career.
2: Yeah, That's not good to hear at all, and I would think, you know, again, if the negotiations are coming up a year and a half from now, uh, that might affect those negotiations.
1: You know, I, I, I think, uh, you know, perhaps for Major League Baseball and, and their executives, Mr. Manfred has his role. Uh, clearly he stepped out of line. This isn't the first time from what I understand, and uh, they've kept him around. Uh, but they may want to reconsider uh, their approach and their posture towards us because it's a new day for this association and uh, we're moving forward and that kind of conduct uh, will not be tolerated.
2: You know, Lamel, it seems like unfairly referees and umpires, they take a lot of heat, and it's not just at the professional level, it's all the way down to Little League where parents are screaming at them. Give me the confidence level of of being an umpire and being an NBA referee. I, I read the piece in uh, ESPN the magazine by Rick Buecher, and you know it sounds like some of these NBA officials are quite frankly just fed up and don't want to deal with this anymore.
1: Well, listen, uh, you know they're type A individuals, but more even more than that, they're individuals who love officiating and they don't care who's on the court, superstar, amateur, what have you, who's on the field. Uh, these individuals love their jobs, and they're accustomed, and they know that they are uh, in the most difficult uh, role of anyone in any arena or any playing field. And so they love their jobs, they love what they do, and because they love officiating, they, they perhaps have constructive ideas and thoughts regarding how things should operate as well, because when you think about it, uh, you know, while uh, executives get to sit in nice office suites, those are the folks who are on the field and on the court making uh, very split-second decisions, and their careers are on the line.
2: Yeah, there's a lot of pressure on them. What can umps do to restore the public's faith? Uh, you know, people talk about transparency. What can they do to let people know that, you know, they're working hard and they're making the best decisions they can make?
1: Yeah, I think when, when individuals think of officials, or uh, whether they're uh, basketball or, or baseball, you know, they're only accustomed to seeing glimpses of them, uh, you know, with equipment on, with their uniforms on, in an authoritative uh, kind of manner. I think uh, there's going to be uh, some deliberate steps taken by both groups to demonstrate that these are individuals just like uh, any other citizen in America. They go to church, they're active in their community, they have families, uh, they take their kids to school when they're not working and traveling on the road. And I think we have to do a better job, frankly. Of showing individuals that these are men and women just like them.
2: Well, LaMel McMorris, spokesperson for the World Umpires Association, I really appreciate you taking the time to join us on Sports Business Radio this week.
1: Ryan, it's, it's been a pleasure, and thank you very much for having me. Thank you very
2: much. You're listening to Sports <laughs> Business Radio. We'll be right back. <laughs> and the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio.
0: One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio.
2: My guest is Kel Devlin. He's the Global Sports Marketing Director for Nike Golf. Kel, thanks for joining me.
4: Yeah, absolutely, Ryan, it's always a ple- pleasure.
2: You know, Cal, I read a Time Magazine feature on Nike Golf earlier this year, and the feature highlighted a moment back in 1996 when a group of Nike marketing executives gathered themselves in a conference room on your world campus in Beaverton, and they were discussing what's going to be our next big sponsorship push. And after a lot of discussion, the consensus was to invest in a teenage golfing phenom named Tiger Woods. A lot of people thought you overpaid for Tiger at the time. But fast forward to today, and over the last decade, you've introduced ten lines of clubs, ten series of golf balls, several styles of golf shoes. You've gone from a hundred and twenty million dollar business to a six hundred million dollar business. Really, an amazing ride over the last decade, wouldn't you say?
4: Pretty. It's been pretty unbelievable. What it has. It's uh, um, you know, Phil Knight, genius again um, in in you know the things that he's done you know, over the years. And making those key strategic moves and tiger was obviously one that has paid huge dividends for us
2: you know part of the reason for your success is you used to be just a uh, apparel and footwear company now you also do equipment and golf balls from the slingshot irons to the sumo square driver you've really become one of the most innovative golf companies in the business talk about the importance of your research and development team for a minute if you would
4: yeah, you know, everything that we do in research and development is in, incredibly important, and I think one of the reasons that um, that we we've, we've been successful is that we take all, all the athletes that we have, um, including Tiger, and we really invest them in the process. We get them involved very early in, um, you know, very early in the process, um, and have have you know not only use them from you know from the pure on the course endorsement piece, but also off the course in helping us develop the product because, you know, if they're, if they're involved and invested in that process and we can make product for them, we know that we know that, uh, you know, we're going to be able to make product for the, for the consumer. And that's been, I think, a big part of the reason that we've been successful over the last, the last uh, you know, nine or ten years is because they've been so involved in that process.
2: Well, and your athletes, endorsers, have to be pretty happy. They lead the tour in driver and iron wins. And, you know, they get to work with someone like Tom Stites and Rock Ishii. Uh, talk about that process, if you would.
4: Yeah, well, the success the last three years has been has been really uh, pretty amazing. And, and the product teams, you know, all of our product teams, whether it's the ball team with Rock or, you know, the club team with Tom, uh, or even on our apparel and our footwear side of our business, um, you know, has has been, you know, obviously very important. And you know, the, those guys, Rock and Tom and Mike Forseen and his his team uh, on the footwear side, they'll they'll come up with ideas and then spend the time talking to the to the players about that um, process. And I think that's one of the, you know, I think that that is different than our competitors. Um, do it. I think that's one of the reasons that, uh, that uh, we've, we've been uh, successful in our product launches is because, you know, we, in, we involve our head R&D people in those different categories with, with our players and also the consumer testing. I mean, R&D for us is a, is a huge part of, of uh, what we're doing. Um, we're getting ready to, you know, make a huge expansion to our facility in Fort Worth where the clubs are, all the R&D work is done on clubs. So, um, you know, that's, uh, you know, that shows you that we're not just thinking about what we're launching six months from now, but, you know, four or five years from now, too.
2: My guest is Kel Devlin. He's the Global Sports Marketing Director for Nike Golf. Kel, Tiger Woods is one of the faces of Nike Golf. He's in his third deal with you. He signed it late last year. He signed his first deal with you in 1996. The first two deals he signed with you were for five years each. Is he in the midst of another five-year deal, or did he sign a longer deal this time around?
4: Uh, we did. We signed, we signed a deal that's a little longer than the first two. Um, you know, we, we don't disclose the, the length of our deals, um, but uh, it's this one is longer than five years, and we're thrilled about it. I mean, he's, uh, you know, you just got to look at what the guy does on the golf course and how good he looks in the product, um, but also how involved he is in, in the, you know, what we do from day, on, on the day-to-day side in the business. He's very involved. He's always, you know, pushing us and asking us questions not only what we're doing for him and the other players on tour, but, you know, general products for the, for the average consumer. Um, so yeah, we've, uh, we're very happy that we've got a, um, uh, a long-term deal with Tiger.
2: Well, and I've had Mark Steinberg as agent on the show and Mark tells me that just like Michael Jordan is a partner with the Jordan brand, that's similar to Tiger's relationship with Nike golf. He is a vested partner in your company.
4: Absolutely. Um, You know, and and we do have quarterly meetings with him uh, and product meetings with him all the time, you know, throughout the year where um, we'll take him through the entire product line um, and, you know, the direction that we're going with the apparel line or the direction we're going with the footwear line and get his feedback, um, uh, which is, uh, you know, I think one of the reasons that we've we've had the, I I think a lot of the credit goes to, him and the rest of the staff because we have, um, you know, invested them in the process. And and Tiger's a huge, huge part of of that. Um, Like I said, he's not just, it's not just about the the quote-unquote endorsement value. It's all the other things that that people don't see that, you know, he's involved in that that, um, I think are a big part of the, a big part of the success for us.
2: You spent a lot of time with Tiger. What's the most underrated part of Tiger, whether it's on or off the course?
4: Um, what a good person he is. Um, well, you know, truly what a good person he is. What his, uh, you know, the things that he does that he doesn't want credit for. Um, you know, I think everybody will get to learn. You know, over the years what he's what he gives back but he doesn't want credit for it which means he's doing it for the right reason um... and you know he feels like his legacy at the end of the day is really going to be what he gives back And that's what people don't know you know we get to see it um, and that's the you know as amazing a golfer is he is the things that he's trying to do with his fund are, are, just, are just that much more amazing in my opinion
2: well, in the at and National, the tournament that he's now hosting, he's raising money for uh, the learning centers that he's built. He's already got one in Orange County. I hear he's looking at building one on the East Coast. I totally agree with you. Let me switch from one athlete to another for a moment. Michelle Wee, you signed her in 2005. She's had a lot of promise, but she's had a really tough year. I read now where she's going to be enrolling in classes this fall. At Stanford, she's going to spend less time On the golf course, more time in the classroom. What's the future for Michelle Wee with Nike Golf?
4: Well, you know, we want her to. You know, she's worked her way through some injuries this year, and we want her to get back healthy. Um, And if that means she doesn't play much golf the balance of the year, uh, you know, we're one hundred percent behind that. If you, you know, if you if you take a look at the way we've stood behind athletes at Nike. Whether it was Lance Armstrong or David Duval through his trials, and now Michelle's going through this injury, she took it a talent to, you know, to not come back, and we just want her back healthy and, you know, back doing what she did last year when she was, you know, the number two ranked female in the world. Cal, we've talked
2: about Tiger. We've talked about Michelle. We, your job is to sign athletes for Nike Golf. When you're looking at an athlete, what's the criteria you use to determine whether or not that athlete's the right fit for Nike Golf?
4: Uh, Well, obviously, you know we want to sign winners. Um, That's a a big part of it, and you know I think that's why we don't have the largest number of golfers under contract relative to our competition. you know we want that clean head-to-toe look um you know no patches no other sponsors on the apparel um but first and foremost it's it's the you know that that uh, that ability to win um and i think you know we've been we've been very fortunate the last three years we've had a great deal of wins and we are more than just tiger you know 16 wins on tour last year um, it's, it's pretty amazing, um, uh, and obviously, not all 16 of those were Tiger. So,
0: yeah, KJ uh, Choi's
2: having a great year for you.
4: KJ Choi, Rory Sabatini, um, Paul Casey, uh, Shingo Kadayama in Japan has won the money list two straight years. Um, you know, across the board, it's been it's been uh, a, you know a, a really good. Uh, amount of different players winning for us worldwide.
2: Kel, you're at the PGA Championship this week. Uh, You've got an interesting job. Take us behind the scenes of your job for a moment, if you would. Uh, When you arrive at a tournament, let's say on a Sunday or a Monday, how does your week unfold from there?
4: Uh, Well, the team has, you know, we have a lot of work to do. You know, my job's not the same as the rest of the guys on the team. I mean, we, we handle everything from... Uh, to make sure that once the gun goes off on Thursday, that all of our, you know, all of our players have everything they need. Um, that might be, uh, you know, regripping their clubs or reshaping their clubs, or uh, this week making sure that everybody understands what their apparel scripting is for the week. That, you know, you go in the merchandise tent this week and you see the Nike Golf area, and you're going to see the, the apparel that Tiger going to wear on every day or the apparel that Trevor Emmerlund is going to wear on every day. Um, so, you know, our job is to make sure that that, that part of it is as seamless as, as possible. Um, and then, you know, different conversations with, uh, with different managers about players that are available for next year, that we, you know, we're always doing that. So it's, uh, depending on your role on the team, there's a lot of work to be done, and then the truck's, you know, the the equipment truck that we have that goes from site to site uh, pulled off property about an hour ago and is headed to the next event.
2: Wow. We've got time for just a few more questions. The 2008 Summer Olympics in Beijing, I'm actually going there in a few weeks to visit uh, the venues, and I'm excited about that. But you're opening a lot of stores over there. You're really uh, getting yourselves uh, into the Asian market. Can you tell me about that for a moment and the importance of the Asian market to Nike Golf?
4: Well, it's, it's you know very important. Forty percent of our business, uh, and the uh, the percentage is getting even bigger. For you know, is outside the United States, um, Asia in particular is, is uh, you know second largest market for us. Is in Japan, Korea has become a very important uh, market for us, and obviously China with with uh, you know with the number of there, and you start to look at all the golf courses that are getting built um we've opened a lot of nike golf stores over there um and you know that you know that's sort of a, the next wilderness uh if you would have it you know would, you would say it's there's a lot of opportunity there so asia is going to be a, a big focus for over the next you know eight ten years because um of the popularity of the game that's one place where the game is definitely growing
2: kel we've got time for one more question I don't know if you. I don't think you've ever seen me play golf, but I'm going to say I'm about a 19-20 handicap. If I'm going out and I'm putting a bag of clubs together, tell me what to put in my bag. The average golfer, what should they put in their bag if they're going to buy all Nike golf equipment?
4: Well, the first thing they should do is go and get fit properly for clubs. Um, you know that would be what. You know, that's what we do with Tiger. That's what you know every consumer should do is go and and get with uh, uh, a club pro. Um, and get fit properly for your equipment um if you're a 18 or 19 handicapper now you're probably selling yourself short brian but (laughs) i don't um, think so not
2: this summer no no uh i haven't been able to get out that much this summer i've got my slingshots i've got my sasquatch driver uh i'm doing great i mean the clubs are helping me i just need to get out more
4: well you know you got to put the time in that's for sure but um yeah I mean I would you know for the average guy slingshots are going to definitely help a lot, especially when you don't play all the time. Um, they're a very thick club um, you know the the sumo squared driver, um, which is the one that KJ's won with a couple times this year on tour, you know that's that's a product that hits the ball very straight um, and then from from the ball side, you know the ignite ball is a great product for the average the average uh, consumer and the for that is it doesn't spin as much. And spins your friend when you're a really good player, but when you're a 16 or 17 handicap, spins not your friend. um, And because it spins less, it doesn't want to curve offline as much. So that would be sort of a a general recommendation, but again, (laughs) the most important thing is to get fit properly, right? I will have to go in and see my
2: local uh, club pro. Kel, I know you're very, very busy this week. I really appreciate you taking the time to catch up with us. Guests appearing during our Sports End segment will be treated to the gold standard of all steakhouses. Morton's the Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. For the Mortons nearest you, go online to mortons.com. Kel, again, best of luck this week, and uh, thanks for catching up. Let's catch up again soon.
4: Absolutely, Brian. I'd be happy to be on any time.
2: Thank you very much. You're listening to Sports... Business Radio will be right back.
0: The website is sportsbusinessradio.com.
2: Well, John Mellencamp is going to headline the NFL's opening kickoff 2007 on September 6th prior to the start of the Saints-Colts NFL season opener. Mellencamp will perform at the RCA Dome while other performers, including Faith Hill, Kelly Clarkson, and Hinder will perform during a free concert at Monument Circle. The NBC and the NFL Network are going to simulcast a 30-minute pregame show beginning at 8 p.m. Eastern. The performances will also be available via Sprint's wireless service to PowerVision Pack subscribers. Where'd the Cougar go in Mellencamp? Why is he just John Mellencamp now? He used to be John Cougar Mellencamp when I was growing
3: up. Where'd the football go in sports? Seriously, what we, we're talking right now about all the performers in this whole entire entertainment. We talk about this constantly on the show. We're not even talking about the football game nowadays. We're talking about who's performing and how you can get the performances on their v Well, and but the
2: NFL, this is their new thing. They've been doing this the last time. years. I'm not saying I disagree.
3: Years. It's just, it's, it's pretty incredible that these are the, it's a whole show. It's a whole production. Well, I'll tell to. you what, one of the coolest performances I've seen
2: was at the Saints game when they returned after Hurricane Katrina last year, and you two and
3: Green Day opened up the Superdome. That thing was awesome. Well, that was a tribute, and I thought that was great. But it's it's like we talk about every year in the Super Bowl. It's it's not even about the game anymore. It's about see. Who's but performing. this is what
2: I said a few weeks ago. Sports is entertainment. People come to sporting events. They want to be entertained. Sometimes they want to see good music. Sometimes they want to see games. Sometimes they just want to walk around the venue and. Hang out with their kids and eat good food and where go is John, on slide Where has John and,
3: Mellencamp been for the last 15 years? I mean, he's coming out of the woodwork here. He gives up his name and now here he is Well, again. ever since uh, our boy Justin Timberlake and Janet
2: Jackson got together during that halftime show, if you've noticed... The NFL has gone with Well, some, Prince, I mean, come on, Prince was a little risky. Well, risque. okay, but I think they set some ground rules for him, and he did fine. But everyone else, I yeah. mean, Paul McCartney and Billy Joel and people like that, these aren't people that are going to uh, be ripping their clothes off. Quickly, Nathan, I know you went and saw The
3: Born Ultimatum. How was it? A-plus. Great, great movie. I think it was equivalent to the first. I don't know if it's better, but equivalent to the first. All right, Bobby and I are going to have to go check that out this week.
2: Uh, lots of thank yous on our show. Kel Devlin from Nike Golf, Lamel McMorris with the World Umpires Association, our show staff, Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, and Doug Zanger. Our sponsors, Morton's the Steakhouse, the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, and ProTrade.com, a podcast reminder. You can catch our show on demand anytime you want via podcast. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com and click on the podcast page. I'm Brian Berger. We'll see you next week and have a terrific week. You've been listening to Sports Business Radio.